You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, brought to you by HoosierProud.com. I'm your host, Jared Morris, excited to talk some IU basketball this week with my co-hosts on the Assembly Call IU postgame show, Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And speaking of our postgame show, make sure you join us at assemblycall.com slash live immediately following the IU Liberty and IU Fort Wayne games. If you can't tune in live, don't worry. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to get on-demand access to the replay of every show. Well, guys, this was a a very interesting first week of Indiana basketball for the 2016-17 season. Obviously, the Hoosiers uh, cruised over UMass Lowell as we expected that they would, but the the headline news was Indiana's big win over Kansas. I know that was a week ago, but I want to spend this first segment reflecting on that victory because I think it's a win that is going to reverberate uh, throughout this season uh, in in a lot of big ways for Indiana. And I want to get your guys' take just on what that game meant for Indiana, both to play in and to win. Because to me, I loved seeing Indiana back on that big national stage to kick off the college basketball season where you know you typically see the blue bloods of college basketball out there as the headliners. Indiana in that position is a great place to be. And then winning that game really basically puts that victory at the top of Indiana's March Madness bracketology resume for the rest of the season, which is huge. So in so many ways, just an absolutely huge win for the Hoosiers uh, on Friday night. Uh, Andy, your your thoughts on that win and what it meant for Indiana to play in and win that game? Well, you know, I think a lot of what you said is true. You look at these events, and we talked on the uh, on the first show we had just about state of the program and, and what that means. And I think to be involved in something like this early on, just from a status standpoint, regardless of the outcome, is a positive uh, and then you look at the actual outcome, as you said, you know, there, there's almost no way that a Kansas win isn't going to be a top five, top 10 RPI win. That's going to help IU. Uh, and we've talked about some of the low, you know, the lower parts of the non-conference schedule. So to be able to get, uh, you know, one of those big four wins under, under our belt right away uh, is a big one. And I think just from a, a confidence standpoint for the team gets them off on a really good, uh, a really good note as well. You had a number of different guys contribute. Uh, we talked in the, you know, the email after the show of, you know, Kansas would get up six or seven points and, you know, at various points, five different guys really made big plays to get them back in it. So I think a lot of guys got good experience. A lot of guys got confidence and, uh, overall a great way to start the season. Can't think of any better, uh, other than maybe it ending a little earlier in the post game show, not starting quite so late. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would have helped if they didn't call a foul on almost every possession that would have gotten us out of there a little bit earlier. Uh, Ryan, your, your thoughts reflecting on that big win for Indiana. I mean, it was huge for so many reasons, one of which is you had, you know, 45 minutes of announcers talking about how fun Indiana was to watch and how great the program was at uh, developing players. And they, I mean, recruits look at that, you know, I mean, they, they, they see that on a national stage. They see these guys getting better. They see these 
you know, uh, these, these future NBA players getting talked up. I mean, that kind of win and that kind of exposure, especially early in the season is huge because now people are going to pay more attention to Indiana. And, and so from that standpoint for, for health of the program standpoint, it's huge, but also just as far as this team goes, you saw these guys, as Andy said, just kept fighting back and, and fighting through some stuff to beat you know, one of the best teams in the country. And, and on top of that, to drop 101 points uh, on a team who's known as a very good defensive team. And, uh, or was it 103? I don't remember. It was a lot. Uh, it was, yeah. To drop that, that amount of, that amount of points on a team known as a great defensive team just showed what this team can do offensively. And, and uh, you know, it, line them up as, as one of the better teams in the country, I think. And, 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 sort of put out put out the notice that indiana's here absolutely hey i want to take a quick second and tell you about our presenting sponsor hoosierproud.com you consider yourself a hoosier and not just an iu hoosier but someone who is proud to have roots in the great state of indiana then you really need to check out hoosierproud.com where they offer a line of t-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique stylish way to display their pride in being a hoosier in fact, we like their products so much that we move production of our Assembly Call logo t-shirts to Hoosier Proud because they produce high-quality work, care about their customers, and take pride in their Indiana roots like we do. Check them out at HoosierProud.com and use the promo code AC to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That's promo code AC to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are reflecting on Indiana's big win over Kansas last week. Uh, and Andy, can you can you talk just from a bracketology perspective? You know, and you kind of mentioned how you know there, there's almost no way that that's not a going you know at the end of the season that that won't end up being a win over you know a potential number one or two seed, a potential conference champion. But how important is it for Indiana to get that win? Number one, to counterbalance the cavalcade of cupcakes that are coming up to drag down Indiana's non-conference strength of schedule, and also to make sure that there isn't as much pressure on the North Carolina game and the Louisville game coming up. Because if you remember last year, you know, it felt like there was a ton of pressure on that Notre Dame game for Indiana to get kind of that signature non-conference win. And of course, you know, Indiana was able to make that crazy comeback to get it. But it, it's going to be nice, I think, to not be in that position where there's so much pressure on one game uh, out of the rest of these non-conference games that you feel like Indiana has to win. Yeah, from a committee standpoint, you know, neutral court wins are are certainly important against a team as good as Kansas. And and I agree with what you said. You know, last year we saw that pressure just mount and mount, and and the weaknesses of the non-conference schedule just got magnified uh, over time. And so I think this you know, pumps the brakes on that a little bit. We're not going to have a ton of uh, exciting things to talk about after a few of these games that are going to end up in 20, 30, 40 point wins. Uh, but I think it, it takes a little bit of the the bad taste out of your mouth that those games might leave from a, a scheduling standpoint. So um, it certainly helps. It, that said, if they drop the other three big games on the schedule, then uh, you've probably more than negated that at this point. But I think it's good to have one of those uh, under their belt and, and maybe feel a little bit less of that pressure as we look forward to, you know, the North Carolina game. Uh, which is the next one of the big four coming up. Do you think it would negate the the win if Indiana were to go out and, you know, play tough, but, you know, lose those games to North Carolina, Butler and Louisville? Uh, if they lost all of them, I think that would be that would be questionable. I maybe negate was the wrong word, but I, I think 
uh, losing all three of those, it definitely takes some of the shine off of what uh, a Kansas win would mean and would really highlight a little bit more of that schedule. Because then at that point, it's, oh, you only beat one of these teams and out of your, you know, whatever, whatever is 13 non-conference games, you really only scheduled four good ones. So I think it, uh, it, if it doesn't negate it, it at least magnifies the weaknesses of the rest of the schedule. Jeez, thanks, Debbie Downer. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, you know, Ryan, obviously James Blackman Jr.'s performance in that Kansas game was the headliner. We're going to talk about him uh, in a later segment on this show. But I want to spend a few minutes and talk about Curtis Jones, because obviously he was terrific in that Kansas game. And we heard in the lead up to the game about how this was Josh Jackson's big debut on the national stage, Kansas's headlining freshman. And Curtis Jones really stole the show from a freshman perspective. Can you talk just about what it means for, you know, to see a guy as a freshman in his first big game to come out with so much confidence and so much aggressiveness? What does that suggest about what kind of player he is and, and will be for the next few years for Indiana? I, he's just got guts. I mean, you know, he was taking big shots. He immediately stepped on the floor and made an impact on both ends, uh, you know, to step up in overtime and, and hit that big three and then step to the free throw line, confidently sink two shots and then get that baseball pass at the end and, and dunk it home. I mean, he was just, he was just all over the place and, and it was really, um, you know, the kids just got guts and, and, and then you saw him against UMass Lowell kind of have a, a ho-hum game, but you saw the potential there, uh, in the Kansas game. And, and, uh, again, with, with freshmen, they're all going to be up and down. Uh, I think that you're going to see, uh, all these guys have, you know, a great game then, then, you know, maybe a quiet game, maybe a few quiet games and then, uh, and then back up. But but to see him step up on a national stage, his first collegiate game, drop 15 points, you know, be aggressive, be all over the floor and, uh, you know, just just be involved the way he was and and be that instrumental to a huge win was, I I mean, impressive, just incredibly impressive. I don't know how anybody couldn't be. I mean, uh, he's he's going to be he's going to be a good one. and, And I think that all the freshmen should have shown something over the first couple games here, uh, including the, the preseason games. You've just seen these guys all know how to play and they're all can get involved and they can all provide something to this team uh, when they've gotten in there. I'm uh, I'm officially petitioning after the step back jumper that we changed his name to Curtis stones instead of Curtis Jones, since it took some pretty big ones to, uh, to take that shot in that position. <laughs> nice one bottom. Well done. Nice. Andy. Well done. Are you uh, are you planning on starting a fan club for him as well, or are you uh, too busy uh, championing the Robert Johnson fan club? Uh, given how well Rojo has played this year, I think I've got my hands full with just the one. So we'll take uh, any any <laughs> listeners that want to champion the cause. We're certainly open to doing that. We all know he's not going to cheat on Robert Johnson. Come on, now. no, never, no, he never, he won't. All right, well. Uh, Coming up, we will discuss the single biggest positive and the single biggest negative that we have taken from Indiana's first two games. That's next here on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris talking IU basketball with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, we've had a couple of games. Indiana won over Kansas. Indiana beat UMass Lowell at home uh, in Simon Scott Assembly Hall. So let's talk positives and negatives because there's obviously a lot of positives to take away. There have been a few negatives, I think, to take away as well from these first two games that we've discussed on the postgame show. So we'll save the negatives for the next segment. But let's spend this segment 
talking about the positives that we've taken away from Indiana's first two games. And Andy, uh, you hit leadoff for us here. What was your biggest positive from the first two games? I think it's the play of James Blackman Jr. And and not not just the play, but the health. Uh, you know, that was a huge concern coming in, losing the scoring that Yogi provides from the backcourt. And you just wondered what kind of physical shape uh, Blackman would be in, how much he trusted the knee, and all those kinds of things. And I think through two games, he's come through that with flying colors, uh, stepped up big and late in the Kansas game, and, and really took control, wanted the ball in his hands uh, in big spots, and, and delivered consistently in there, played 39 of the 45 minutes. So any... Uh, questions about conditioning, health, all those kinds of things uh, go to the wayside a little bit when you play that those kind of minutes. But, you know, 26 points, a ton of them in the second half, follow that up with a really good first half uh, against UMass Lowell where he had 20. And then the second half, I think everybody, you know, kind of felt they could they could coast a little bit. So it wasn't as aggressive there. But uh, in addition to the scoring, you know, he's he's back doing the, the same level of rebounding that we've seen before. So six rebounds in one game, seven in the other. And I think scoring in a variety of ways, he's obviously shooting the ball really well from three-point range, uh, but he's also driving to the basket and seems confident finishing there. Uh, talked on the post game after the Kansas show about you know the one where he drove in, got it blocked, but was the first one to get back up and grab the ball and put it right back in. So um, I think those are all good signs for him. Uh, we'll for sure touch on defense. I'm sure that will be in someone's uh, biggest negative from the uh, you know from the first couple games. I think that's still a concern with him from time to time, but. You know, certainly from a scoring perspective, he's still got uh, a great shooting stroke, wanted the ball in big spots. I think that's all you can ask as he as he gets back, because you you only you have to assume he's only going to get healthier and that knee's only going to get stronger uh, as he goes on. So to have him perform this way uh, right out of the gate is is a really good, uh, a really good sign, and a, a testament to the, the doctors and the trainers who have helped him get back to where he is. I agree. And, you know, there have been a few possessions where he's been kind of a matador on defense, kind of like what we saw last year. But the offense has been so good that it really has counterbalanced any negative impact from that defense, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, his his offensive rating on Ken Palm, two games, take that with a grain of salt, is uh, almost 146. So anything around 100 is kind of average. Usually 120, you're going to be uh, pretty high in the in the ranking. So almost 146 where he is today. And a lot of that's, uh, you know, because he's shooting the ball so well. But uh, yeah, I think he's one, we touched on this, I think after the UMass Lowell game, was he doesn't need to be an elite defender. He needs to score to make up for that and, uh, and provide scoring. There's other guys that can pick up the slack defensively. So while we'd love to see him uh, get a little better on that end of the floor and continue to improve there, uh, I think if he continues to score at this level, uh, it's it's easy to turn your head the other way when some of the those bad defensive possessions that you mentioned come about. To put that yeah, off- I mean, in that... In that Kansas game, he was NBA jam on fire. It was unbelievable for a stretch in that second half. Yeah, he was. And by the way, to put that offensive rating number that Andy mentioned into context, I think 146 is about where Nick Zeisloft was his junior year when he finished, I think, first in the country. And that's a guy who was just a specialist, basically taking wide open threes and not doing a whole lot else. And Blackman in these first two games has been doing everything. So an impressive number, you know, no matter how many games have been played. Ryan, your biggest single biggest positive from Indiana's first two games. I think it has to be the depth, um, not to disagree with with Andy's call of James Blackman, who has been phenomenally impressive. But I think it's got to be the depth. You've got guys on this team that just come in waves. I mean, we think about, uh, you know, Juwan Morgan is coming off the bench and, and he's just, uh, you know, such a good all around player who could who could easily start for most teams in this country. I think then you've got the freshman and Jones, Deron Davis, Devonte Green. I mean, they all provide something. Josh Newkirk shown flashes on both ends of the floor of being a really solid player. Obviously, 
OG and an OB, Thomas Bryant, James Blackman, Robert Johnson. We know all about them, but I think it's the depth of this second unit of this team. And even further down, you've got 10 guys who can play on this, on this roster. And, and through the first, you know, couple games, you've got, what is it? 11 guys averaging nine minutes or more. Um, that's, that's pretty substantial. And that's, that's, pre- I guess it's 10 guys, but it, it's, that's pretty amazing to have that kind of depth that you can go to if somebody gets into foul trouble, which we saw against Kansas because there were whistles every 30 seconds in that game. Um, but, but to see guys like Davis and, and, and Devonte green and Curtis Jones come off the bench and not only just survive, but provide a spark, uh, each of them is a big deal. And then of course you've got Morgan and, and Newkirk really showing up this year. Uh, so I think that I think the fact that Indiana just has so many guys who can provide so many different things at any time, it, it, that's what makes this team better. I mean, anybody can have a great starting five, but but the fact that there's quality depth on this team, like Tom Crean has never had at Indiana, is is what will take this team, I think, to the next level. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of talk about how this may be Tom Crean's deepest, most talented team. Even Yogi Ferrell tweeted out after that Kansas game, you know, that it seemed like this team had more talent even than they had last year. So. Yeah, I mean, what, what Indiana may have lost in experience, it certainly seems like they have, have made up for in talent uh, and depth, which is you know why these first two games have gone so well. Hey, by the way, while you're listening to this show, we want you to, to interact with us. So be sure to tweet us at Assembly Call, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y-C-A-L-L, uh, and let us know. What are your biggest uh, takeaways, uh, positive, negative? Tweet them to us. Let us know. Uh, we would, we, we'd love to have your interaction uh, during the show. And, and you are listening to the Assembly Call, presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris, here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And we are currently discussing the biggest positive that we have each taken from Indiana's first two games. Uh, and I certainly agree with Andy about James Blackman Jr.'s play being a big positive. And I certainly agree with Ryan as well about the depth being a big positive. But to me, the guy that stands out is Juwan Morgan. And I think the reason why his play has been so important is because he really is stepping in and filling the role, not only that he was expected to fill, but he's also got to kind of fill the role that Colin Hartman was expected to fill in Hartman's absence. And his ability to do that through a couple of games has been absolutely tremendous. And I think there's a couple of numbers that really stand out. I mean, number one, Andy, you mentioned James Blackman Jr.'s offensive rating of 145.9. Juwan Morgan's is second on the team at 142.7. And he's not a guy who is, you know, stuffing the scoring sheet, but he's doing so many other things to help out. And he's being efficient. He's shooting well from the field. His assist rate is 23.1%, which is second on the team only to Robert Johnson. And his turnover rate is 7.7%. He's the only guy on Indiana's roster turning it over on fewer than 10% of his possessions. And on a team where turnovers remain an issue, Indiana as a team up over 20%, that's really big. And, and it's not like Juwan's doing that as just a big guy who's not handling the ball. There are possessions where he is bringing the ball up the court, where he's playing a point guard role. And so add to that his rebounding, where he's Indiana's best uh, defensive rebounder at 28.5% and one of the best offensive rebounders. He really is just delivering an all-around game that has been huge to Indiana. You know, we're starting to see on Twitter and in message boards, people refer to him as Draymond Green Light. Uh, And really, that's a role that he kind of seems to be filling for this program and doing a great job of it so far. And so to me, Jawan making good on all the preseason chatter that we heard about him getting ready to have a special season and really being a player ready to make a breakout, 
that's been huge for Indiana. And, and one quick bold prediction before we get to bold predictions in our fourth segment, but one quick bold prediction, every single glue guy article that comes out later this season, I bet you Juwan Morgan is going to be on it <laughs> because that's exactly the role that he's filling. Ryan, what do you think about how and, Juwan's played? Andy, I, I, I think we need to start getting on Jared for his man crush on uh, Juwan Morgan. If, if you've got Robert Johnson, he's got Juwan Morgan. There's I, no, there's I no, would be willing you know. to step up and run the Juwan Morgan fan club if it's, if it's needed. Uh, I think you already are. <laughs> I think there's no question. The de facto no, president. I, 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 yeah, I think you just well, I think you just nominated yourself anyway. But uh, Juwan is, you know, let, let's face it, he's he's been phenomenal so far. And uh, on this show, we talk about quote Colin Hartman things and just things that don't necessarily sometimes show up in the stat sheet. And then the fact that Colin Hartman also does fill every category on the stat sheet in a game almost always, uh, even if it's just one of something it, it, he's always got something marked in the stat sheet and, and Juwan Morgan is that guy right now. And, and he's, we also sort of expected that. I mean, watching him play last year, watching him play in the exhibitions and, and watching him play and, you know, in the, in the practices we saw, he looks like a guy who is just going to do all the right things, be in all the right places, be smart and, you know, just get things done that need to get done and, and, and do all the dirty work. And I mean, you know, the fact that he's on the team with uh, an all American and Thomas Bryant and is leading the team in rebounding uh, it is, is an indication of that early. He's just in, he does all the right things and he's, he's really fun to watch. If you love basketball, you know, I think he's, he's one of those guys where, look, if you want, if you want to see guys light it up, you want to see a Victor Oladipo type because he's flashy or OG Ananobi because of his just immense potential or James Blackby because he's lighting it up from the, you know, from the scoring sheet. But Juwan Morgan is the kind of guy I love to watch just because he is everywhere and, and, and just he doesn't need to do anything flashy to make a huge impact on a game. So we're two games into the season. Indiana has two potential lottery picks in Thomas Bryant and OG Ananobi, and we barely even mention them in this section about positives. And, Andy, I feel like that's not really a blight on their play because they've both played pretty well. It's just a testament, again, to how deep and talented this roster is. Yeah, I think to a certain extent they've been what we expected. And so I, when you start to think about you know most of what we talked about are answers to questions that we had coming in as to whether – uh, you know, Blackman's health or how the freshman would be able to step in and play, um, you know, Juwan Morgan's, you know, health, I think was a, a small concern, but just, you know, the loss of Colin Hartman, as you brought up is kind of what he addressed, you know, that, that almost was the question that he addressed. And I think those, uh, you know, OG and Thomas have both been good. They've both, uh, scored well, shown a lot of different things, but, uh, I think they've been, uh, you know, as advertised or as we expected, you know, coming into the year. And I think that's why we didn't talk about those guys, not, not to say that we're taking them for granted and the things that they provide, but um, I think it's just, you know, these others have uh, have really been answers to early season questions that, um, and the answers have been so positive. That's why there's starting to be such buzz around this team as they move up the, uh, up the polls. Ryan, I'm curious, does anybody stand out to you as potentially being better than advertised uh, so far this season? Uh, I think I think the freshmen in general are, but you know, since I I haven't I haven't bestowed that title on anybody this year after after giving it to Max Bielfeld last year, I'm not quite ready to retire that from Max Bielfeld. He still he still has that in my eyes because of how huge he was last year for for the team. But uh, you know, there's there's some candidates out there. I think Juwan Morgan certainly is one of them. But I think all three of us expected Juwan to have a big season. So uh, I I you know right now the guy who I'm eyeing for that title is Devontae Green. 
um, you know, based on the exhibition season and, and he hasn't really shown up big time yet, but you get the feeling, I mean, those dunks on, uh, the other night were pretty great, but I, I think we're, we're, he's, he's right now the leading candidate for that, uh, for that title. Uh, I think Juwan, we expected so much from him, especially from his play late last year and, and the development curve that he's on. Uh, I think that, uh, he, he doesn't get that title, Jared. I'm sorry. I can't give it to your boy. You know, what made better than advertised Bielfeld work so well was the alliterative nature of it. And the problem is you don't have guys with B names now to do that because better than advertised Devante doesn't sound quite as good. Maybe better than discussed Devante, something like that. We'll have to, we'll have to figure out how yeah, that's going to work. Yeah, you know, I'll work on it. I mean, I am a writer, so if, I am nothing if not a wordsmith, so I'll figure something out. Andy, real quick on Juwan Morgan. Yeah, I think the thing in analyzing the lineups, he, his name tends to pop up in, in a lot of the better ones that we see game to game. And I think that shows just the flexibility that he gives Tom Crean, who likes to you know, try out different combinations, particularly in the non-conference schedule, but uh, gives them the option to you know play big or small because he can guard a lot of people. He has a lot of different skills. And so I think as you look at different games down the line where they might want to play, you know, more bigger guys, uh, you know, he gives them that flexibility. He can be an additional ball handler out there if he's playing the three, uh, even potentially running the point. Um, but he can also, you know, guard a lot of positions if you need him to play the four or even give some minutes at the five. So I think his overall skill level and uh, contributions just are a huge, you know, benefit to IU as they start to figure out different lineups and matchups in, in games down the stretch. Well, there's obviously been a lot of good for Indiana to start this season as the Hoosiers now up in the, the top five, uh, number five, number six, as we record this uh, today. But it hasn't all been perfect and sunshine and rainbows for Indiana. And coming up, we will flip this conversation around and we will actually discuss the single biggest negative that each of us have taken from the first two games. That's next on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. You're listening to The Assembly Call, presented by HoosierProud.com, where they offer a line of T-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique, stylish way to display their pride in being a Hoosier. Check them out at HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris, talking IU basketball with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we just spent our last segment, guys, talking about the biggest positive that we have each taken from Indiana's first two games. And now we want to talk about the biggest negatives. And again, as you listen, tweet us at Assembly Call. Let us know what your biggest positives and negatives from Indiana's first two games have been. Let's talk about the biggest negatives. Ryan, you lead us off. Well, I think there's a tendency with this team because they're such good three-point shooters to rely on it a little too much. And, and you'd love to see Thomas Bryant working more with his back to the basket. Uh, you'd love to see OG Ananobi driving from the perimeter, getting into the paint and, and finishing. I know that he shot a great three-point percentage last year. He's only at 36.4 so far this year. It's early. That's, you know, not a huge issue. Uh, but I, I feel like this team gets into a pattern sometimes where they settle for threes. And, and we've seen that before with Tom Green teams because they're so three-dependent. Uh, but they shoot it at such a high level that you almost kind of are okay with them doing that. But against a team like UMass Lowell, you can get away with that. Uh, we saw at times against Kansas, they kind of just jacked shots instead of actually taking the right 
you know, shot and, and moving the ball as much as they should have. Uh, but on the season, they're shooting 50% from the field. So, I, you know, it's kind of hard for me to complain about it. But at the same time, you really do need to get this team to work inside out. That's when Tom Crean's teams are most effective, whether it's a driving kick or uh, throw it down to the post and have them kick it out. Uh, and I think that with a guy like Thomas Bryant, they've got to get I know they're they're they like pulling him out on the perimeter and doing some different things to get the defense to open up the lane and you know get the shot uh, opposing team shot blockers out of the lane. But I think we've got to at least at some point just start seeing them throw the ball into the post and, and letting Thomas Bryant work. I don't know. I mean, do you guys agree? I think I think it's they've gotten away with it early in the season because they've been making threes at such a high percentage, and I expect them to shoot a high percentage. I just think that they need to be able at times in half court offense just to throw it down to him and let him go to work or get penetration off the dribble, get to the hoop and finish. I agree. I will say for context, you know, if you exclude that awful dreg of 2014, which was just a horrible offensive season, the other four years since 2012, Indiana has been at least 40 percent from three point range in the top six in the country. So, you know, yes, I think there are possessions where we settle, but it is going to be a huge part of our offense. And I think, you know, to say we're reliant on it, I mean, we're just really, really good at it. And that's, you know, going to be a part of what we do. But I do think, to your point, Crean mentions all the time playing through the paint. And Indiana is better and gets better looks when they do that and don't settle. So you're right, you know, just settling, you know, throwing it around the perimeter and, and settling for threes, you're actually going to get worse looks that way than if you do as you described. So I think Indiana definitely yeah. should do that. Well, and you just don't make the defense work, you yeah. know, and and that's the thing is especially a team that has such a high volume of possessions that only works or that, that only is effective when you have that many possessions. If you're actually making the defense work instead of just running the ball up the floor and firing. So I, I think that you're right. They are a great three point shooting team. They always are. Except for 2014, which. Clearly, Let's just I don't not think talk about that season. again. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that season actually ever happened. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Jared. Was that a strike year? It might have been a strike year. Yeah, um, but but I think that that you're right. They, they have to work through the paint and eat, whether it's whether it's driving or whether it's 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 just tossing down to Bryant, letting him work on his on his kickouts and, and, and spotting the open shooter. So uh, I just think that that there have been a few possessions early in the season where you're kind of like, e, you know, like not nah, let's, let's, let's work it around a little more uh, before we take that shot. So again, it's a nitpick because they've played very well early, but I, I think that that is alarming when you see that, when you have all this talent on the floor. Yeah. I think from my perspective on that, it's not necessarily that they are taking threes. It's, it's more how they're getting them. And so I think that was a big thing in UMass. Lowell Crean talked about, you know, playing through the post at one point, you know, he counted 15 straight possessions where they got the ball into the paint and then got threes. So it's not necessarily the the destination of ending up where they are in terms of shooting threes. It's more the the journey of how they get there um, that I would look at. And I thought when they really made a concerted effort to get it inside, they've got guys that are good passers. Bryant made a couple of good passes out. Deron Davis has proven to be a pretty good passer. Uh, you can set up Juwan Morgan in there. So I think that's really more of the issue from my perspective in that, that they certainly can score inside, but just getting the ball inside is going to open up a lot more. Uh, forces the defense to react. Uh, from from my perspective, though, the negative uh, is really on defense, which is probably a, a surprise to no one. Uh, you, you know, you can kind of write off giving up 99 points to Kansas. It's an overtime game. Fouls were called on every possession at the very least. Um, and, and so, you know, some of that just talent level first game of the season, you can write that off a little bit. I think that the 79 points to UMass Lowell, albeit 
um, just giving up, I think, a little bit over a point per possession because that game was played at a little bit faster pace. Um, it, it just the things that stand out to me are communication and dribble penetration. Those two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, we saw James Blackman Jr. And, and Thomas Bryant not really get into it into it with one another, but there was definitely you know some words exchanged about uh, about where we want to you know where they needed to be and the communication there. And I think those are the kinds of things that you know Frank Mason got to the into the lane. Uh, at will against IU, got a foul called pretty much every time. Um, so how they are able to to contain dribble penetration, how they're able to handle ball screens and things like that, um, they've shown flashes where they, they really uh, buckled down and, and did well, but there have certainly been other times that, uh, that they didn't. And I think those are the kinds of things that if games are going to be officiated as they have been early in the season, which we all know that probably isn't going to hold true in the long run, uh, except at the Cole Center, uh, you know, they're going to have to do a better job of, of moving their feet and communicating on what they want to do because the versatility they have allows them to switch a lot of these um, ball screens out of top, and they've tried to do that. Kareem talked about wanting to put Davis and Bryant in those situations uh, against a smaller team uh, against UMass Lowell, um, but they've got to get that nailed down of what they want to do in what situation. It just seems like there's some confusion, and it's leading to guys getting into the lane easily. Then guys try to help, and we've heard, you know, Kareem talk about, you know, overhelping. Uh, a lot over the last couple of years mentioned that again after the UMass Lowell game and they ended up hitting, you know, over 42% from three point range in that game. So uh, that to me uh, is, is it. And you see it in flashes, but you need to see it more consistently as we did last season. And the concern with the schedule coming up is that um, defense, while uh, important, isn't as important in these games coming up, but you don't want to get into bad habits that are going to carry through uh, later on in the season. Andy needlessly poking the bear with a Cole center reference during the non-conference schedule. Well done. It's, just couldn't help it. Hey, it's synonymous with bad officiating. I don't know what you're expecting. <laughs> you're just trying to get me riled up, Bottoms. Just back <laughs> off, man. Back off. All right. Well, you are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are discussing our takeaways from Indiana's first two games. And in this segment, we're talking about the biggest negative that we've taken from the first couple of games. Uh, and for me, it's free throws. You know, right now, Indiana is 218th in the country in defensive free throw rate at 42.4%. And if you're not well-versed on advanced stats, free throw rate measures the ratio of free throw attempts to field goal attempts. So obviously, you want to put your opponent at the line as little as possible. Uh, Kansas took 38 free throws. Indiana took 36 in that opening game, which, you know, that's okay. You got two evenly matched teams, kind of a weirdly officiated game. But then when UMass Lowell comes into Assembly Hall and takes 18 free throws and you only take 14, when you have the decided interior advantage, that's not sustainable. And, and, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, back in the night years when Indiana was really good, it was often talked about how they would make more free throws than their opponent would attempt. You know, and and Indiana may not do that uh, with this year's team just kind of based on how the roster is constructed, but they certainly need to get better. And what's interesting is that every Tom Crean team prior to 2013 had a defensive free throw rate ranking of 130th or worse. And we know how bad those teams were. And that's a sign of of a poor defensive team when you can't defend without fouling. But since 2013, no Crean team has ranked worse than 81st in defensive free throw rate. So I do think, you know, based on what we've seen, we can can kind of surmise that, you know, Indiana struggles putting their opponents at the line over these first couple of games, maybe just kind of a small sample size, and this should kind of even itself out. But it's really important that it does uh, because Indiana is not going to be able to beat good teams uh, having a defensive free throw rate like they are right now, and that needs to get itself uh, back in line and, of course, be counterbalanced by Indiana themselves getting to the free throw line uh, a little bit more. Ryan, I know you had some additional thoughts on the defense, so I want to get them in here real quick. 
Well, I just I just think the main thing defensively for this team is as as Andy was saying was communication and given again what they lost in 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 Yogi Ferrell and and Nick Zaislav, two guys who really got everyone organized defensively, it's going to take this team time to sort of coalesce around figure, you know, communicating and, and, and figuring out their defensive identity. I think that we should really start looking at where the defense is probably in mid December as, as the real indication of what this team is going to be defensively early in the season. It's tough. You're rotating in a bunch of guys. You're uh, some people have never played before you. You're trying out lineups and all that stuff. So it's going to be sort of rocky. I think for a few weeks as they, as they try and figure it out, you're going to see stretches of great defense. And, and I think I think we did in both of the first two games, uh, you know, three to four minute stretches where the defense was great, but all in all, it wasn't where you'd want it to be. And as for free throws, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think free throws are going to be enormous for this team because we don't have a bunch of great finishers around the basket or guys who have really stepped up and shown they can do that. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of guys getting the line and maybe not finishing through contact as we've seen in the past. And so guys like Jawan Morgan, guys like OG Ananobi, um, obviously Thomas Bryant's going to be at the line a lot. Uh, Josh Newkirk, Robert Johnson, those guys have to make their free throws and they have to get to the free throw line as well because you know, that's free. Those are free points. And and if you're not going to be finishing around the rim, like Troy Williams, you know, you don't have a Troy Williams who's going to finish around the rim and, and make big plays at the rim uh, on this team that's stepped up so far. So you're going to have to make free throws and, and free throws are going to be a huge part of what this team does, especially once you get in the big 10, of course, outside of the Cole center. Yeah. Uh, again, send us a tweet at assembly call. Let us know what your biggest positives and negatives from Indiana's start to the season have been. And coming up in our final segment, we'll do a little buy sell on some early season trends and offer our bold predictions for the next week in Indiana basketball. That's next on the assembly call. Stay with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris talking IU basketball with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's close out here with a little buy-sell. Andy, I'm going to go to you first. Indiana is now the highest-ranked Big Ten team after you know Michigan State suffered some losses. Wisconsin suffered a tough loss to Creighton. After one week of basketball, are the Hoosiers now positioned as the favorites to win the Big Ten Conference? Are you buying or selling the Hoosiers as now the new favorites to win the Big Ten? I think I'm buying that one. I, I mean, you look at anybody else who's been mentioned at the top of the league, and even a few who haven't have have struggled. Wisconsin lost at Creighton. They just seem a little out of sorts. Nigel Hayes still taking you know, way too many jumpers. Uh, just didn't look good for a team that uh, was certainly in a tough environment, but has so much so much returning. Just seems strange that they didn't look better. Uh, Michigan State's really in disarray with between injuries and just relying so much on freshmen and and Aaron Harris Aaron Harris struggling. Uh, Purdue lost at home to Villanova. Uh, I thought played well in stretches in the game, just let themselves get behind and then came back, but then, you know, struggled there uh, toward the end, lost that, you know, Maryland uh, barely beat American needed a crazy comeback to beat Georgetown. Uh, Michigan actually looked really good last night against Marquette, but I don't know that they're a team that you would, you know, kind of put in that upper echelon of teams. So I guess if you just look surely from a result standpoint, uh, I, I really like IU there. And, and also some of the things that we've mentioned throughout the show from a depth standpoint, 
uh, what this team is going to be able to withstand in, in tough situations is going to be important. And, and I think they've got the depth to do it. A number of different guys can step up and score uh, with how good Blackman's looked. And, and you've still got the Thomas Bryant's and the OGs uh, on the roster as well. I think from a talent standpoint, they've got as much as anybody. I think depth they've got as much as anybody. Uh, and they've actually showed it on the court so far in a way that other teams have not. Ryan, what about you? You buying or selling? Hoosiers is favorite. Yeah, I, I'm buying it right now. I, I think that, um, look, this is going to change a lot throughout the season. I think it's fair to say, but right now, uh, Indiana does look like the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, will that hold up over the long term? I don't know. But yeah, as of today, yeah, that's who I would pick to win the Big Ten. They just looked like the most complete team that we've seen so far. Yeah, I agree. Uh, guys, Luke Wynn of SI.com, I always read his power rankings, one of my favorite weekly uh, stops in the college basketball blogosphere. He listed James Blackman Jr. number two on his reshuffled list of Player of the Year candidates after the first two games. That you know seems like a bit of a stretch long term. I don't know if, if James will stay there. But are you buying James as a legit contender to be a first-team All-Big Ten player now after what you've seen these first couple games? Ryan, buying or selling James as a, as a first-team All-Big Ten? player unfortunately i'm going to sell this right now but the reason is kind of nuanced if james look i don't think he's going to keep these averages up but he's averaging 24.5 points 6.5 rebounds and 2.5 assists against two turnovers a game if he keeps those numbers up yeah he's going to be in the national player of the year discussion i don't think he will obviously uh, over the long term but i think what's going to hurt him is i think thomas bryant og ananobi emerging it could be first team all big 10 players or at least in contention and you're not going to see three players on that team you know from the same team so i think that that thomas bryant thomas bryant is going to be a first team all big 10 and i think that og ananobi is going to be on the borderline of a first team and so james i think might get discounted as a result of that what so if i'm going to say the big 10 in scoring though which i'm starting he, to think yeah, is possible. it is possible and and it's 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 just so hard to judge right now, but for some reason, long-term, I think that the other guys are going to come up. I don't necessarily think James is going to drop, but I think his scoring is going to fall as a result of everybody else kind of continuing to get better. So I, I think I'm going to sell this one, but look today, he's player of the year in the big 10, you know I mean? So it, look, this could continue. I just don't see uh, him being this hot for the, for the entire season. Andy buying or selling James as a first team, all big 10. I'm buying it. I don't think, you know, defense typically doesn't come into play. Any criticism of him is typically going to fall on that end of the floor. I think there's every reason to believe that no matter how much better um, OG and Thomas Bryant play, that Blackman still probably will end up leading IU in scoring. And if you dovetail this into the prior question of whether we think I use the favorite to win the Big Ten, if you're the leading scorer on the team that wins the Big Ten, uh, I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't get in there. He's going to throw in some rebounding numbers as well. Uh, and I think the other thing, uh, just to touch on one point, I don't, I don't think he leads the conference in scoring. Um, Peter Jack has taken a ton of shots for Iowa. He's going to score a bunch of points. I think uh, Malcolm Hill for uh, Illinois had a bunch the other night. So I don't see him leading the conference in scoring, but I think he leads IU in scoring. Uh, and if he does that on a team that wins or maybe finishes second in the Big Ten, uh, you'd probably be hard-pressed to leave him off. Ryan, I have a quick one for you. You know, I tweeted out that after that UMass Lowell game that I thought Deron Davis is showing us flashes that he's going to be a really, really productive four-year player for Indiana. And a lot of people came back at me and said there's no way he stays four years, that he's a guy who has enough ability to, to 
be an early entrant to the NBA at some point. And I look at it as I think skill wise, he does. I don't know about his athletic ability, if that will allow him to make that leap. Are you buying or selling Deron Davis as a potential? uh, And I know it's way, way early. He's only played a couple of games, but based on what you know of him and how you project him, are you buying or selling him uh, as a guy who could perhaps leave after two or three years? I, I I see him. I mean, obviously, you have to adjust these projections every year as you see a guy. But as he, when he came in, I saw him as a three-year guy. I think that he could be at the point after three years where he doesn't have anything left to develop. I mean, he's a very polished player. As, as you said, he's not this guy, the kind of guy who's a, a hyper athlete, crazy athlete, um, and and that's what makes him good. He's more of just a polished, smart basketball player. I just get the feeling where I think he's going to be complete. He's going to be finished product after three years. And and I'd love to see him stick around for four because I think he's going to be a fantastic player. As you guys know, in the off season, I was effusive in my praise for him coming in. And I think he's going to be in a, a fantastic basketball player for Indiana. But I, I think that he's the kind of guy who may be completely a, a finished product after three years. I, I But I don't see him as a, as a as a quick jump to the NBA guy at all. And I don't think he sees himself that way. I don't think he comes to a school with Thomas Bryant where he's going to be backing up Thomas Bryant if he didn't think he had a lot to work on and a lot to develop. Uh, not to bring this back to the uh, 2014 season again, but Ryan, how does this compare to the Noah Vonley uh, two-year know. plan? <laughs> Com- Completely different situation, Andy. <laughs> Completely different situation. Hey, okay, I love how you guys continually bring up the one thing I was wrong about. <laughs> All right, you are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. We are wrapping up this week's episode. So we're going to start doing bold predictions. Each episode, we're each going to make a bold prediction, and we're going to keep track of these and see whose bold predictions end up being right as we go through the season. So, guys, let's quickly get to our bold predictions, and they are just for the next week. So we look at, we're going to look at the next week of Indiana games. Indiana plays Liberty. They play Fort Wayne. A bold prediction for those couple of games. Andy, lead us off with your bold prediction. All right. I'm going to say at least seven different players score in double figures in one of the two games. So I think we've got two more games, both of which could be pretty wide margins. And I think you can count on a few guys to get there uh, every every game. But that's some combination of, you know, Deron Davis, Curtis Jones, Juwan Morgan, uh, maybe Josh Newkirk, maybe even Devontae Green stepping into uh, double figures. If Freddie McSwain shoots as many shots as he shot the other night, could be another uh, opportunity there. So I'm going to say at least seven, maybe even eight different guys get in double figures in one of the two games. In in one game, there's seven guys or seven guys do it over the course of the two games? Over the course of the two games. Okay. That's a little less bold than I thought it was, but we'll we'll allow that. Nothing's Weeks by the way, nothing's Weeks been bolder than Freddie McSwain's shot selection. His usage rate currently in the thirties, which is kind of awesome. That guy, <laughs> that guy has no conscience no. whatsoever right now. Uh, Ryan, your bold prediction. I think Curtis Jones is going to get over twenty points in in one of these games. I, I think that that he's going to. He seems like he's he's. I mean. It, I, I've seen a lot of him in high school. I think that he's a different player in college uh, just based on his role, uh, but he could definitely get hot. And and I, I think after watching that first game, I think in, and, and seeing that he didn't have a great game against UMass Lowell, I think there's going to be a game in here, one of these next two, where he's going to get over 20 points. Yeah, I like it. 
And my bold prediction is that Indiana is going to defeat Liberty by 40-plus points. And before you say, yeah, yeah, it's Liberty, that's not really that bold of a prediction. They did keep it within five of VCU. And Ken Palm only predicts an 18-point Indiana victory. And, of course, we just saw Indiana you know, only beat uh, UMass Lowell by 22. And Liberty is a better team than UMass Lowell. But the reason why I think this is going to be a blowout is because I think we all expected that sluggish start for Indiana in the UMass Lowell game and the fact that they coasted through parts of that game. Not that surprising, but I think there were a lot, you know, even in a 22-point win, there were a lot of things for the coaches to pick up on, on defense, from a turnover perspective, you know, everything that we've talked about. And I think you'll see Indiana come out a lot more focused, a lot more razor sharp in that Liberty game. Uh, And I think that will lead to us seeing Indiana play more up to its potential. And if Indiana does that at home against a team like Liberty, then that's a game that they should win by 40-plus points. So that is my bold prediction. Uh, And again, just as we asked you to do for your positives and negatives that you've noticed from Indiana so far this year, let us know your bold predictions. Send us a tweet at Assembly Call. Uh, Let us know what your bold prediction is for these next couple of games. And again, uh, when we come back on here next week, we'll see whose bold predictions came true, whose bold predictions uh, weren't so true, so that you'll know, like we do, that you should listen to the predictions that Andy and I make and maybe disregard the predictions uh, that Ryan makes. But that's just based on history. (laughs) And that, no, sorry, Ryan, we have to close. You don't have time to defend yourself. Oh, man. It's good to be the host. Uh, All right, well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. Make sure you join us at assemblycall.com slash live after the IU Liberty and IU IPFW games for our post-game show, or you can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Our thanks to Hoosier Proud for sponsoring this episode. Go to hoosierproud.com and use the promo code AC for 15% off. And thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Mexico is more than a country. It's a feeling. Wherever you feel Mexican, there is Mexico. Let's celebrate it. Tecate. Mexico is in us. Mexico is more than a country. It's a feeling. Wherever you feel Mexican, there is Mexico. Let's celebrate it. Tecate. Mexico is in us. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.